A Christmas story. No, I'm not talking about Ralphie and his Red Ryder BB gun. It's okay if that's the first thing you thought as soon as you saw the title. That's okay. I forgive you, all right? You, you, you can repent. And, no, I'm just kidding. Fantastic movie. So from now through January 1st, in fact, we will wrap up on January 1st. I know I'm going to preach an extra Christmas sermon on New Year's Day. Um, we're going to walk through the Christmas story. We're going we're gonna to start where all good stories start, in the beginning. Now we're going to start in John, okay? So, so right in the beginning, we're going to start in John chapter 1. Now if you, if you were thinking Genesis, uh, well, well, we'll go there a couple of times. But uh, this morning, we're gonna, over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the Christmas story. And the Christmas story is told in the Bible, beginning in the beginning and going through the end. It's all the story of God redeeming his people. And so the Christmas story then doesn't begin in Luke or Matthew or even in our case this morning in the book of John. Christmas story begins way before that. It doesn't even begin in Genesis. The Christmas story starts before that. And so I've pulled this morning um, an introduction to the Bible out of one of the best tools that I've seen. That's the Jesus Storybook Bible by a lady by the name of Sally Lord, Lloyd Jones. And she just, she puts this introduction in such a way that, that it, it kind of wraps up the whole point of the Bible in, in, in a story. And this is what she says. Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should do and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you should copy. Now the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait. Our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And so if you will, go with me to John chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 5. And let's stand together as we read the word the Lord has given to us this morning. This is how John begins his gospel. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As we begin this Christmas season, will you give us a new appreciation for the Christmas story, for what you have done for us in sending your only son to our world, to be our sacrifice, to pay the penalty that we owed and could not pay. And will that cause a hope and a joy to stir up in us that that maybe we have not felt in a long time. Speak through your word this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, now really quickly, because th- this is John's Christmas story. Okay, right here. Now, there's a reason that you don't see this one played out in Christmas pageants. Right? So, you know... We, Usually they'll take Luke's account or Matthew's account, and that's where we get the shepherds and the wise men and dressed in their best bathrobes, right? That's, that's how it goes. Like, you, you, don't, you can't play this out, right? So, okay, we're going to get all the kids here. We're going to tell the Christmas story as told in John. In the beginning was the word. Okay, so word go over there. No further than that. No, because what we're told is that in the beginning was the Word, not not in the beginning the Word was created. And and John here, if you'll notice in your Bible, the Word is capitalized. He's referring to Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. So the first thing that he tells us, that in the beginning was Jesus. He tells us Jesus is eternal. See, I think sometimes folks get into this mindset that, that God the Son didn't exist until Jesus was born in the stable 2,000 years ago. And that's not the the, the picture the Bible paints for us. It's that he always was. And I love the way he puts this, right? In the beginning was the word. Well, when's the beginning? Now, I'm from Texas, and the way we would put it is it's back yonder, all right? (laughs) Way, way back yonder, right? And so this, this idea that we're given here is that the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit have always been together. They, they, they were not missing out on anything. They were perfect within themselves. Now, perhaps when, as soon as we read these words in the beginning, that causes you to go back to Genesis 1.1. I think it should. right? This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we might ask what this has to do with the Christmas story. Because we want to hear about shepherds and wise men and, and, and baby goats and all those things, right? The, What what does this have to do with the Christmas story? Well, in order to understand the promise of Christmas, we need to understand the way things are supposed to be. And we understand the way things are supposed to be by going back to the beginning, where we see how God created things. And we see his purpose for our lives and the purpose for the world around us. So John here is telling us something about Christ. He tells us the word didn't just look like God. He tells us the word was God. It wasn't just a picture. It wasn't just an imitation. 
He was God in his very nature. And Jesus made a lot of people really mad in his lifetime, particularly the religious leaders who thought they had God all figured out. And then Jesus comes along and he starts messing with their understanding of who God is and how God operates. In John 8, 58, Jesus says something that, that this kind of puts to rest anyone who's ever claimed that Jesus never said he was God. Because we see in the religious leaders' reactions here that Jesus makes this claim. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, Jesus does a couple of things here. You notice he, he, doesn't, he, he mixes his, uh, his, his, yes, tense, thank you. I was not an English major. Perhaps I should have been. Uh, he, he mixes his tense here, right? Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that'll get you in trouble on your, uh, on your English papers, right? That's not good English. But Jesus isn't really concerned with using proper tense because what he is saying is absolutely true for who he is. And the religious leaders here, if you read in John, 8, in John chapter 8, right after this, the religious leaders lose their ever-loving minds and they pick up stones to stone him because he just claimed equality with God. Because he uses the name that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. Remember, uh, God's talking to Moses, and he says, I want you to go and tell my people that, that they're going to be delivered. I'm going to deliver them out of Egypt. And Moses is trying to come up with this list of excuses about why he's not the right guy for the job. And at one point he asked, well, so let's say that they ask me, uh, who sent me? What, what am I supposed to tell them? What's your name? And, and I love this. God just says, you tell them I am that I am. Here in John 8, 58, Jesus uses God's personal name, the name that was too holy, or that Jews believed was too holy to be spoken. And he uses it for himself. Before Abraham was, I am. Religious leaders lose their mind, pick up stones to stone him. But it wasn't his time, and so he just slips through the crowd. Pretty fascinating story. Jesus understood that he was the holy one sent by God. In verse 2, look at how simple this is here. In John chapter 1, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. It's so simple, and yet, just think about the depth of what John's writing here. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So there's this intimate relationship that's happening here. We see here that John tells us the Son and the Father were together from the very beginning. And then Genesis 1-2 tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. So in the creation account here, we're being told that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together. Since they, They've been together since eternity Past. What an incredible thought for us. It, this has several implications for us. I think, first of all, we need to understand what Jesus left when he came to earth. The way Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, he says, uh, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He left 
the perfect harmony with His Father, with the Holy Spirit, to come to earth. To, to put on skin, just like you and me, in order that He might identify with us and pay the penalty for our sins that we cannot. May, may we never take that for granted. But that's not all. So, so Jesus is eternal, yes. The second thing we're told here is that Jesus is creator. Look um, with me at verses three, or verse 3. It says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I love the way, so, so this is kind of repetitive, right? But John's making absolutely clear that we understand here. All things were made through him. And without him, there wasn't anything made, but stuff's been made, so he made it. Okay, that's how, that's how he's going there. You get his logic? So, so in other words, what John's saying here is if you want to remove Jesus Christ from the equation, we aren't here. We, we are not here. This is the way Paul puts it in Colossians 1. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul takes this even a step further. He says not only did Christ create everything, he says Christ sustains everything. Meaning without his hand on our world, things would spiral out of control. He keeps galaxies from crashing into one another. And, and so, so listen, here's, here's what I know. Here's what this tells me. Even with as much chaos as it appears in our world, and, and over the past month particularly, we've seen a lot of chaos happen. This is but a hint of what would happen if Christ was not sustaining us every moment of every day. Never doubt for a minute that he is in control. Never, never, never doubt that. I love the way Richard Blackaby puts it in uh, Experiencing God. He says, don't draw your conclusions about God based on your circumstances. Don't draw your conclusions about God based on your circumstances. Sometimes we need to take a step back. And that's one of the things that the, the, the story of the Bible helps us come to understand. Because the Bible gives us a lot of stories of people whose lives were chaotic. And they were chaotic a lot of times. And yet, when we take a step back and we look at what God's doing, God is working in and through their lives. Maybe one of the most prominent is the story of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis. Remember Joseph, the, the bratty younger brother? Who, uh, who, who, who was his father's favorite son, and he knew he was his father's favorite son, and he didn't mind letting his brothers know, hey, I'm the favorite. Uh, so one day he has a dream, right? Remember this? He has a dream uh, that all of his brothers bow down to him. Now, kids, if you ever have a dream that your brothers and sisters bow down to you, it's best that you don't tell them, okay? <laughs> Joseph doesn't care, right? He's spoiled. He's got his coat of many colors. He goes waltzing out. Guys, I just had a dream. One day, all you guys are going to bow down to me. And they reacted like most brothers would, and, and one of them said, well, let's kill him. <laughs> and the others go, hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So finally Judah, the more responsible one, says, okay, guys, hold on. That might be a little harsh. Probably shouldn't go killing him. But, but here you are. So let's just throw him in a pit. All in favor say, aye, aye. Okay, good. Joseph's in the pit. Now the Bible cues us in and says Judah had a plan later on to come and rescue him. So, so he wasn't going to just leave his brother out to, out to dry. But then, the other, then he leaves, and the other brothers, remember, who, whose initial plan was to kill him, uh, see this band of gypsies coming by, and they're like, hey, I have an idea. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. Okay, sounds good to me. All in favor, say aye. aye. Judah abstains. Good. We're, all right, good. Let's sell him. And this is, this is how the story of Joseph's life works. And remember, through uh, a series of unfortunate events that makes Lemony Snickets look like a walk in the park, Joseph winds up in Egypt. And he winds up as second in command in Egypt. As a famine is on its way. And Joseph finds himself in a position where he saves not only the nation, He saves his own family. When he reveals himself to his brothers, they're a little nervous, as you can probably understand. When your bratty little brother whom you tried to kill and then sold winds up in power and has the ability to do to you whatever, they they, they get a little nervous. And he said, do you remember these words? You planned to do evil to me. But what you planned to do evil... God meant for good. That is the hand of our all-powerful, creating and sustaining Savior, working His ultimate plan in and through our lives. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. says, In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So apart from Christ, you and I would not have been here in the first place. We wouldn't be created. And apart from Christ, you and I would not still be here. He is sustaining us. He is sustaining our world. And no amount of evil, no amount of riots in the street, no amount of mass fear and chaos and confusion can thwart his plan. It's been tried before. His plan prevails. The final thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus is Savior. Look at me at verses 4 and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, light and darkness are probably the most important themes that we see throughout Scripture. This, again, he, he says, uh, this light was the light of men. That should take us back to Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And where there was nothing, where there was darkness, suddenly there was light. At the word of God. And then later in scripture, these will continue to be important themes. Where light represents good, darkness represents evil. Prophet Isaiah, and what is a popular and well-known verse, especially around this time of the year. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light 
shown. You know, you could say that our world right now is a pretty dark place. I think our nation is a pretty dark place. There, there's, as I've mentioned in the last few weeks, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of anger um, about the unknown, about what's going to happen as this new administration comes in. And we're seeing folks, I think, who, who don't know what to do with uh, things are so incredibly different than what they expected. They don't know how to respond to that. And so we're seeing uh, that fear come out in chaos. And we're told here that those who walk in darkness, those, those who kind of grope around in darkness, trying to find some sense of hope, some sense of a future, it's on those people the light has shown. We have the light. That regardless of who's in the White House, we know who's in control. Amen. And so we'll talk more about this darkness next week when we get into the fall and, and what that looks like and, and why our world is the way it is. Um, but for now, we see that in the beginning, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived in this perfect harmony with one another. We see that God spoke and light appeared and that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit worked in perfect unity to create a world that in the end was declared good. Remember that at the end of everything, God it says God looked at everything that he had made and behold it was good. Such a simple term, right? It wasn't fantastic, it wasn't amazing, it wasn't stupendous, it was good. Bill Cosby has a, uh, had a comedy routine where he talked about how a, how a man made a car and called it fantastic. God made a tree and he called it good. Man made a refrigerator and he called it amazing. God made a rabbit and he called it good. And then he says... The car broke down. The refrigerator stopped. The tree's still up and the rabbit's still running. Good. Love it. And so we see, though, that even before the foundation of the world, God's redemption plan was in progress. See, here's what we need to understand. Christ coming to earth and, and dying in your place and my place was not some kind of plan B. So, so when God comes walking in the garden in Genesis 3 and he asked Adam and Eve where they were, he was not shocked by their response to find out what they had done. He knew exactly what they were going to do before they were going to do it. He knew from, the, from before he made the world what they were going to do. And he says, I will love these people regardless of if they follow me, even if they turn away from me, my love for them will not change. So this is how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1. We, we weren't here since like May, okay? So we need to go back to Ephesians 1 and look and see where, what he says here. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, look at this, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. From before the time that God created anything, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit knew exactly what was going to happen. 
I'm going to create the world. It's going to be good. I'm going to create these, these good people. Perfect creation. And not long in, it's going to be fractured in a deep way. But that's not the end of the story. Son, I'm going to send you and you're going to redeem them. And son says yes. And Holy Spirit, when they're redeemed, you're going to go and you're going to live inside of them. Showing them what it means to be reconciled and restored to the original creation. And Holy Spirit says yes. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which by the way, you're going to hear a lot out of in the next month. Because I just, I love the way that she creates some of these, these things. Uh, she, Sally Lloyd-Jones calls this God's secret rescue plan. And this is how she closes out the creation story. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost them, he, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. This is the Christmas story. Perhaps you're familiar with this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the message of Christmas. That we might be restored to God's perfect creation, the way it was in the beginning. Jesus' storybook Bible calls this, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So my question for us this morning is, have you come to know this love firsthand? If not, I'd love to share with you how you can come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. There's no magic formula. You don't have to wave your hands. You don't have to get down on your knees. There's nothing that happens. Just a simple prayer asking Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Asking Him to forgive your sins and to be your Savior. Now maybe you've been a believer for a while. And if that's the case, I pray that this Christmas season is a time of renewal for you. Let me invite you to join in a Christmas reading plan that I'll be taking part in and that all of us can take a part in. If you have the Bible app, uh, I've put a link to it at the bottom of the message this morning. Good News of Great Joy by Pastor John Piper. It's a 25-day reading plan. Just so happens, you can start it on December 1st and you'll finish it on Christmas Day. There's a link to it on our website and I also have some hard copies available if you would like them. Out of all the, I've recently been reading a lot about discipleship and about what it looks like to grow in your faith. Did, did you know the number one thing that people said helped them grow in their faith more than anything else is reading the Bible. 
It's not to say that what we do here isn't important. It's not to say that what we do in our small groups isn't important. That praying isn't important. Worshiping God isn't important. All those things are important. But the most transformational thing, this was done in a LifeWay survey. They have numbers to back it up. The most important thing that people said led them from one stage of their Christian life to another is they were in the Bible consistently. It's almost like this book is living and active, like a double-edged sword, cutting to hearts and, and marrow, and it's, it's, it's incredible what happens when we're in this book. You know, there's a lot of craziness that happens this time of year. You've already probably seen some commercials telling you that your life is incomplete unless you get something. And Friday, millions of people bought into that lie, that their life would not be complete unless they bought a new TV or a new phone to the point they were willing to trample each other, get in fights in the middle of malls to obtain that thing. It's insane. And yet, I'm afraid if we took stock of our lives, we would find that we believe that lie more than we care to admit. If you don't believe me, just wait for your phone to break and see if you think your life has not been drastically affected. This Christmas season, could, could we be devoted to this book together? T- to seeing what God does in and through us as we, as we read and as we apply, as we submit to his leading. My prayer is that this Advent season would spark a revival in our hearts. That, that might just break outside these walls and cause a revival in our community. That's the hope of Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together to look at your secret rescue plan to save your people. May we never take for granted that that we have been rescued and that we have a part in helping others be rescued as well. God, I pray this Christmas season, as, as, as there's a time of transition happening in our nation and, and, and as there's a lot of people asking a lot of questions, I, I pray that, that you would allow us to have those conversations with people where when they express doubt or fear or anxiety or just a, just a questioning about, uh, about this hole that they experience in their lives, may we be ready with the answer. May your light drive out darkness in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, and in the life of this community, around our state, around our nation. Would, would this be a season of people turning to you for the first time and of your people turning back to you? We stand in awe that we get to gather here every week and worship and open up your word together. Will you move in these next few moments as we respond? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.